It's time for some inside animation. With your host, Adam Sartain. Today's guest, Mark Zikri. And now, here's your host, Adam Sartain. And here we are with another episode of Inside Animation. Again, I am your host, Adam Sartain, and today we have with us the famous, amazing Mr. Mark Zikri. Yes, thank you, thank you. Glad and to be here, Adam. The architect of our childhoods. <laughs> yes, yes, it's my fault. I would say. And for those listening, I've got uh, a Smurfs background on. Uh, yes, recognized it. <laughs> yes, I made sure to do that just for you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's an honor. For those who don't recognize that name, Mark has written for so many different animated shows, including the Smurfs, He-Man, and the real Ghostbusters. Uh, I'm sure you know this list. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Better than I do. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. And, you know, He-Man and oh, on and on. The Littles, Biscuits, uh, Liberty's Kids, just you name it, you name it. I mean, there's a specific period when I was writing most of the shows on all the different networks and um, the animated shows. And so this was like late 70s throughout the 80s. Uh, it was a small group of us who were all in our 20s and early 30s at that point. Now, I know you've written for a lot more than that, uh, including Star Trek Next Generation and Deep Space Nine and uh, so many other sci-fi shows. But today, this is a show about animation. So we're yeah. going to talk about your writing for animation. So now, obviously, we know a writer writes, but I like to start off with going into exactly what, what your job is in the animation industry. So what... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how does um, what what's the writing process like uh, for for an animated show? Well, here's how it worked back then. It's it's very different now. Um, back then, you would come up with it. Like for instance, with Smurfs. Let's say, in that case, the American audience had not heard of Smurfs. They were very popular characters in Europe. They were called Les Schtroumpfs because they were created in Belgium, and the two creators of Les Schtroumpfs flew out to Hanna Barbera and sat with all of us prospective writers for the show and told us and answered questions about what the Smurfs were and so forth. And then you would come up with ideas or sometimes they might give you an idea. They were called premises. You type up like a, a single page, a paragraph or two of the basic notion. And some of the cartoons were eight minutes long, some were a half hour long, depending on the show. And they basically fell into two categories, sort of funny animal comedy kind of things like Smurfs or Biscuits or the Littles or those kind of shows and um, sort of superhero science fiction fantasy kind of shows. And that would include He-Man and Black Star and, uh, you know, real Ghostbusters kind of was in both worlds a little bit. Uh, but, uh, but all of us were, were able to write all of it. I mean, you would write funny animals one day, you'd be writing superheroes the next. And, um, you know, with super friends and all of those. So you would, you would write these premises and you'd run them by the, the story editor or producer of the show. And, uh, 
and they would hire you to then write them. So you would work up an outline that might be a few pages long. Then you would write the script. Now the scripts were very long because you were, you were everything that the characters say and do uh, would be described, including, and you would break it down shot by shot by shot. So you might, so a half hour script would be 55 pages long. And you would say, for instance, you might say um, long, um, two shot, uh, Tila and He-Man. Uh, then you'd have a, like a line of dialogue and then you would go to angle over to Skeletor or whatever, you know, and so you'd be breaking down every single shot. So then the storyboard uh, artist could storyboard it and then they would animate it. And this is the very end of what was called ink and paint where every, it was, um, uh, you know, they would do 12 frames per uh, second and uh, it was, and it would be, um, uh, they would take, uh, they would draw it First, they would draw the animation on paper, and then they would lay that down on a, on a pegboard and uh, a registration board, and they would put a piece of a celluloid over it and then trace in ink on the cell the, um, the, the pencil drawing, and then they would take the back of that cell and paint it. It was called ink and paint. And uh, now, of course, it's all done by, by computers. So you, but, but back in those days, you could actually own the cells. And if you go to science fiction conventions even today, you'll find these cells for sale for you know, anywhere from a few bucks to you know, thousands, depending on what show or what movie it's from. But, um, and, and so, that, so I was at the very tail end of that, where that was how, how animation was done. But, uh, but everything that was said, everything that, what, that happened in a, in a given show, that was the writer. And uh, so we had a lot of power and, um, and yeah, that's how it worked. So essentially the, uh, the script was the blueprint that began, that everything came from. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so any, any jokes, any action, any anything, you know, um, Michael Reeves and I, my friend Michael Reeves and I, I think wrote all of the episodes or almost all the episodes of a show called Black Star. It was sort of a precursor to He-Man that Filmation did. And so, uh, we did one show, we co-wrote one show called The Wind Whales of Ankar, and we actually did an audio commentary on that episode when we, uh, when they released Blackstar on home video, and, you know, it's just sort of like, okay, we came up with the wind whales, and we came up with the storyline of who's hunting them down, and why, and, you know, and so forth, you know, and you would service the characters, so you would know that in a given episode, there might be like, for instance, in Smurfs, you'd have Papa and Brainy and all these different Smurfette, all these, and Gargamel. And you'd have all these different characters with all their different traits and their specific goals and interests. And so you'd be, and you'd have their char the character voices in your head. So you would know, you wouldn't give a Brainy line to Papa Smurf or vice versa, because they had a very specific um, role in the show and personality and, and temperament and so forth. So. Uh, so you, you got to be very good at sort of in your head imitating the various characters on any given show, which then served me very well as I moved into live action, uh, because, you know, writing Brainy Smurf was much the same as writing, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, Captain Picard, you know, right. so, yeah. Or Data or whoever, yeah. Whoever, yeah. Very good. So we're, uh, Trying, I'm trying to piece together exactly how a uh, cartoon show gets made. So it yeah. starts. It starts with an idea. Obviously, that's get gets pitched. Hopefully, yes. Yeah, <laughs> and then <laughs> for uh, a lack of an idea, for an right. Or, but now, for, now, nowadays, it's very different. The yeah. directors have a lot more power. The writers might just kind of 
suggest the shape of the show and then the directors are much more sort of the creative force on the show. Uh, so, it, so it's different now. It's, and so you have writer producers who are essentially showrunners uh, like my friend Chris Wyatt who works on a lot of the Marvel cartoons where it, it's somewhat different, but I haven't, I haven't been writing animation in recent years. Right. So the differences, you know, I'm not sure of, but, but back then, absolutely. It, 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 it was, the whole, the writer was vital, vital, vital. And so, so they might say to you, well, we want to do something, you know, with a dragon, but more often than not, you just come up with a bunch of ideas, type them up on a page. So it might be, I remember the Paul Dini, uh, we were all working on He-Man and Paul Dini, uh, as a joke, wrote a premise called The Day Nothing Happened. And it was kind of like, he man wakes up, runs a few laps, goes to the steam room, you know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was great. And, um, but, you know, that was uh, typical. So we might come up with, you know, five or 10 ideas, you know, individual premises. And, um, and that was, you know, the one big change was when, when I started, you would write these scripts on a typewriter. And then it changed to computers very early on, uh, K-Pro 2s, and uh, with these big five inch floppy disks. And so you would have to write very quickly and you had these stupid dot matrix printers where you had to tear off the, you know, the edges and it was tedious beyond words. And, uh, but, um, but things sped up. So because they, uh, they knew that typing took a long time and correcting took a long time, but uh, that was much easier on a computer. So you, generally you'd write a script in about a week or less and a rewrite maybe in a day or two, you know, Great. depending on the notes, yeah. And uh, so, okay, so the script is done uh, and then you move on to the next script or how is, is there, how much time is there in between? Well, frequently you'd be working on multiple projects at once, often for different companies, often for different networks. So I might be coming up with premises for Smurfs while, you know, writing a script for Super Friends the same week. Uh, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd sort of stagger the work, which again, proved very useful in my training because I learned how to write very quickly, how to shift gears very quickly, and, um, and how to come up with a lot of different notions. Now, now I tended to try to come up with ideas that I'd never seen before. Uh, for instance, there was a show called Pole Position that Michael Reeves and I wrote all of them. And um, my idea was I would come up only with storylines I'd never seen before. Every title would be a, a, a riff on a Hitchcock title. So, so I had like the chicken who knew too much, things like that. And, uh, and, um, and then if I came up with something that didn't fit the episode I was writing, I would sort of hold that in advance till the next episode. Because since Michael and I knew we were writing all of them, uh, you could do that, you could sort of inhabit the show. But I was never under contract, exclusive contract to any of the companies. So I was a freelancer, deliberately so, going from company to company. So I was writing for Hanna-Barbera and Deke and Marvel and Ruby Spears and Filmation, you know, all of them. And, uh, uh, and so that was, you know, and so you would be outlining one story in the morning, maybe writing 10 pages of a script in the afternoon, whatever worked. And uh, the fastest I ever wrote was I wrote one 55 page script in a day for, I think it was Blackstar. And, um, and that was before computers came in. So I, I had to, I would ha write longhand and my wife would type the script. She was a faster typist. Yeah. That was a lot of work. And, but everything I wrote, all the scripts I wrote got made, nothing, there was no, um, um, you know, you didn't write spec animation scripts back then. You know, you, you wrote scripts and, uh, 
you know, so that was that was how that worked, you know. So so there was a big there was a constant demand because every week they had to have a new episode, right? Well, it was a, it was a small group of writers. We were all there. We all knew each other. I mean, it was it was me and Buzz Dixon and Michael Reeves and and Paul Dini and you know, et cetera. So there weren't many of us, maybe, you know, we were all rep by the same agent, an agent named Candy, Candy Montero, Candice Montero. And when we started, they didn't even represent uh, animation writers. Michael Reeves uh, was Candy's first client. I was her second. And then she cornered the market. So basically when they had a show coming up and they call us all in her, her writers. And uh, we, uh, we would, they, if they had a sample material if they had like a reel or something you know they'd show it to us and in fact when i wrote real ghostbusters the movie had not come out on home video yet so they sent us a, a vhs tape of the movie because we knew that the the the, the, the episodes we wrote were going to be direct sequels to the movie and so that helped us kind of get the characters in our head get the, the get the tone of the show in our head Let's talk a little bit more about the real Ghostbusters. I mean, I'm sure some people listening know the story, but for those who don't, why was it called the real Ghostbusters? That's funny because Filmation previously had done a live action. This is before the Ghostbusters movie. They had done a live action show, kid show called Ghostbusters. And it starred uh, Larry Storch and Forrest Tucker, who had been in F Troop. And I think it also had a Gorilla Kong, the gorilla, something like that. And, uh, you know, and it was, um, but it was, it was, a, it was about these Ghostbusters, but it had nothing to do with the movie, but they had the title, oddly enough. And so, uh, so that's why Filmation called it the real Ghostbusters when they did the show. And, uh, you know, so that was, that was how it worked. You know, I, it may not have been Filmation that did the other one. It was, it blurs after all this time, but, but, the, but there were two camps of story editors running real Ghostbusters. One was Chuck, uh, Menville and Len Jansen, who were a writing team, I'd worked with them on Smurfs previously, and they wanted to do things that were kind of very cartoony and lowbrow, lots of slapstick. Uh, they were kind of primarily doing kind of the Slimer cartoon. I was just going to say Slimer, yeah. <laughs> He's the embodiment of that. Yeah. Joe Straczynski, who at the time was a very good friend of mine, he was story editing, and he said to us, make it just like a sequel to the movie. Write it exactly as if you were writing an adult movie. And so that's what we did. And so, uh, and so we all, we, you know, I vastly preferred his approach. And so I, I think I wrote four of them, uh, Station Identification, Look Homeward Ray, two others, you know, and uh, it was a lot of fun. I was parodying, you know, a lot of um, characters in, in media. And uh, it was, you know, but, but the other part about writing it, by the way, was that every now and then you might talk to one of the artists or, or suggest a design for one of the characters, but, but you weren't in on the recording sessions generally, and you weren't, unless you were in-house, you weren't um, part of the production uh, pipeline. And so you wouldn't be, you wouldn't see it until it aired usually. And uh, if then, there are probably cartoons I wrote that I've never even seen. I'm sure there are. Oh, yeah. And I think it, it goes down to uh, writing, because all these cartoons are for kids essentially. And it's, yeah. do you, do you dumb it down for the kids or you do, or do you give it to them straight? And oh, uh, someone, someone at the time once asked me, do you write for the child in the audience? And I said, no, I write for the child in myself. And so I would, I wasn't, I never dumbed down anything I write. Basically I would write what entertained me. So I'd, if, if it was a joke that made me laugh, then I'd put it in. If it was an, it was a story I wanted to see, I'd put it in. It was like Centurions, all these different shows. I was entertaining myself. And if I couldn't find entertainment in it, then I wasn't doing my job. 
because it had to be entertaining to me. Otherwise, I had no uh, compass to fly by, you know. And um, but I mean, you know, these were generally genuinely funny shows. And I remember, I remember there was one show I was writing with Michael Reeves, and it was for a show called. It was, I think it was the Biscuits. It was the Biscuits, which was little dog characters. It was almost like Smurfs if they were little dogs. And we had, we had a line that we wanted between this girl do dog and this boy dog. And it was a riff on Hitchcock. I mean, not Hitchcock, on, on Humphrey Bogart. So it was like, I've met a lot of dames in my life, but you're, right. and we were trying to figure out the payoff line. And we were just busting our brains on that. And finally we came up with, but you're pick of the litter. And like we were so pleased, and that works, yeah, <laughs> it does. But we were just breaking our heads on that one. But uh, but we knew. I mean, we were young and we were enthusiastic and we were ambitious. I mean, many of us went on to other other you know uh, accomplishments and, and greater heights in a way. But we we never we never condescended. We always were doing our best job. We and we were we were it was a it was like we we would go to you know parties together at each other's houses. It was a very convivial collegiate atmosphere. It wasn't dog eat dog. Uh, it was or or knife in the back. It was very much we all were working professionals. Um, you could earn about hundred grand in three months, four months back then, which was you know really good money back then. Still is. Yeah. And, um, you know it was, but but also you. You know, I mean, I was the god of animation. I didn't, it came to a point where I, I didn't even have to pitch anymore. I would just, they would just say, okay, here's a show. We'll give you, you know, uh, um, half of the show to write or, or whatever. You know, it was like, okay, they trusted me. And so there came a point where I didn't even have to come up, write, write the premises. I would just say, well, I have in mind to do something along these lines. And they'd say, go for it. And uh, so that was great. And, uh, and my price rose accordingly. But we were all young and ambitious and not, there was a great positive quality. We weren't beaten down. We weren't um, cynics in any way, shape or form. We all of us were, were enjoying what we were doing, but many of us were also writing novels at the time or books or spec screenplays or spec pilots. I mean, you know, uh, some, some of us loved animation, like Paul Dini just loved animation and he, this was like the perfect job for him. I, I never intended to be an animation writer. It's just that I, I knew I wanted to be a writer, producer in TV and my friend, Michael Reeves, was writing for a show called Space Stars that had Space Ghost as the main character. And he was writing all of them. And he said, do you want to write a script with me? And I said, sure, because it got me into television. And uh, it turned out I collaborated on that script and I collaborated on a Smurfs episode. And by then it was very obvious I could write them on my own and had a, had the ability. And then I was off and running. And, uh, and that but I learned my craft in animation. You know, at the same time I was writing the Twilight Zone Companion, um, the book. You know, to, to educate myself in in how to make great TV. But um, but my craft uh, was I learned in animation. And at one point, and I initially initially I struggled with structure. But at one point I was writing so quickly that it just became second nature, and it stayed that way ever since. I mean, when I'm structuring something, I just have this innate sense of it. And, uh, and I'm, I'm grateful to animation for that. Great. This episode of Inside Animation is brought to you by Space Command and their new Kickstarter. Are you a fan of Mark Sikri's work such as Smurfs, He-Man, the real Ghostbusters, and more? Well, the Space Command Kickstarter has awesome perks, including the Animation Fan's Dream Perk, which includes scripts and all kinds of things that you will love as a fan of animation. So go to SpaceCommandKickstarter.com and take a look 
And now, back to Inside Animation. Okay, so we've talked a lot about your uh, work in animation and a, a little bit how you got into animation. Let's go a little bit further back. Sure. How did how did you get started in writing in general? Um, did you go to college for that or no? No, no. I'm uh, uh, essentially I, I was an avid reader from as far back as I can remember. I loved science fiction uh, from the age of four or five. You know, my first the first favorite book I can remember was when I was seven. My favorite book was Farmer in the Sky by Robert Heinlein. It was one of the Heinlein juveniles. And, um, you know, I just, I read, I, I, I watched TV. I, I loved movies. I, I read science fiction voraciously. I read comic books and that was the age of great science fiction comic books. So I was reading, you know, Superman and Mysteries in Space and on and on, Magnus, Robot Hunter, you name it. And uh, so, and I was drawing also. So I knew I'd either be an artist or a writer. And uh, so I got into UCLA art school and uh, as a painting, sculpture and graphic arts major. So I was doing all that stuff and having gallery shows and so forth. And then um, at the same time, I wrote a satire, a radio play that was a satire of science fiction conventions and science fiction movies and TV shows. And that I wrote that when I was 18 and it aired on KPFK. And I wrote it and acted in it and directed it. And then... Uh, when I was 19, I went to the Clarion Writers Workshop, which is the leading science fiction writing workshop, and I sold a short story to one of our teachers, an editor uh, named Damon Knight, who wrote the story To Serve Man. And I sold my first short story, and then I knew I was going to be a writer. From then on, I knew. But because I'd started in the arts, the visual arts, I had a very strong visual sense. And again, that helped me enormously when I was writing animation and then going into writing what I write now, you know, live action science fiction. I'm dealing with a lot of visual artists. And... Uh, but even when I was writing animation, I would see it in my head. I would see the shots in my head, and uh, and that so that never was a particular problem. Because you, you had to be a little more descriptive uh, in animation yeah. than you do yes. in, in live action. Yeah, and I mean, but now that I'm a writer, producer, director, I have I have that same obligation to be specific visually. And uh, so, in other words, whether I'm whether that comes in uh, the writing phase or the design phase, you know, or when we're shooting or doing visual effects. I mean, it's, it all is the same challenge. And, uh, but the one, the one bonus in terms of writing all this animation was that, uh, or an additional bonus was that for 20 years after I got out of animation into live action, which was my goal, I never mentioned that I wrote animation. And then one day I was at the Museum of Radio and Television, the Paley Center in Beverly Hills, watching some old TV thing that they had in their archive. And I heard the kids behind the counter raving about shows I'd written, like Smurfs. And uh, so I went up and I said, uh, you know, I wrote for Smurfs and their eyes got big and they were so impressed. And so then I started letting people know I'd written for all these, all these shows, you know, He-Man and, you know, so forth. And, uh, you know, now one thing that was fun, I must say, was when I wrote for Super Friends, uh, since I'd grown up reading, you know, Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman and Green Lantern, to be able to write those characters was really, really fun. And uh, and then I got to write the animated uh, Incredible Hulk as well. So sometimes you'd be writing characters that you'd grown up with, and um, and that was a that was a kick, you know. And uh, so it was, you know. But I but it's very funny because I we started writing for He Man before they made the show, before they animated the show, and I always thought he was so odd looking with that little you know, um, page boy haircut. And uh, I remember when they did the uh, 
the, the, the video, you know, the DVD release and they interviewed me about He-Man and they said, uh, what do you think about the look of He-Man? And I said, well, if you oiled him up, he'd fit into any gay bar in town. And, uh, you know, so somehow that, that comment didn't make it into the final, the no. final documentary. <laughs> I, but I did do, a, do an episode commentary on one of my episodes and, uh, that was, that was really fun, you know? So, yeah, but I'm, I'm proud of the work I did in animation. Um, I mean, the lesson I learned and, and I learned this from my mentors, Harlan Ellison, many of these great writers from Star Trek and Twilight Zone, was you never, you never write down, you never do anything other than your, 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 the best possible work you can do. Um, my friend Frank Spotnitz, who ran the X-Files and then created Men in the High Castle, he said, you always aim for the fences because maybe then you'll get a single. You know, it's like you, you know, you, you aim high. And then one, one time one of my fans called me and he said, well, I just watched your episode of whatever animated show. And he said, you know, that one wasn't as good as your usual, usual work. And I said, well, you know how sometimes you're in school and you take a test and you do your damnedest, but it, you get a B or a, you know, C plus or whatever. It's kind of like that, you know, that yeah. week like off my feed, you know, whatever. But, um, but it was never it for lack yeah, it wasn't that you were trying to do bad. No, not at all. Now, some shows would would allow you more opportunity. Like, for instance, I enjoyed writing The Littles very much. That was a lot of fun. And that was sort of, again, like a knockoff Smurfs. These little creatures, and they had tails, and they were fun. But, um, you know, but but Smurfs or, or, you know, all of these shows, you'd find the opportunities. And uh, you'd find the things that would make it um, meaningful to you as a writer. And... Uh, and you'd turn in these, you know, 55 page scripts for a half hour. I mean, that's that's the equivalent now of a 55 page script on a live action show. That's an hour show. And uh, so it was we were really, really working. But I don't think any of us regret the work we did back then. Again, it, it, we, we loved it. It was it was fun. And, uh, you know, I, we, I have no regrets about any of the shows I wrote for. Great. this section of the show, I like to ask our guests to give any advice for people potentially trying to get into the career that you're in. So for potential writers in animation, yes, let's say, yeah. uh, well, what advice would you give? Well, first of all, I'm writing, I just finished a new book that I'm writing called Greenlighting Yourself. And that's coming out from Silman James as soon as I send it to them, which gives a lot of information on how to start a career in the business as a writer, director, actor, producer. In terms of animation, you know, learn, first of all, learn from people who do the work, learn from the people whose work you love. So if there's, if you, you're watching an animated show, you know, most of these people are on, on social media in one way or another, reach out to them and say, listen, could I just have a a Zoom call with you to ask a bunch of questions. I love your work. Most, you know, most of them will say yes. You know, animation writers are not the the giant egos that you might get in in features or in in big TV shows. It's a different vibe, and they're friendly. And and then you know, just um, moving to LA would help because you know that's where the work is. You know, meet people in person if you can once the pandemic's over. You know, it's uh, I, I mean, just basically learn your craft, meet people. In, you know, you'd probably want to write spec scripts of some of your favorite animated shows, but just be dogged, be, you know, um, I was very lucky that I happened to meet someone who brought me into television. But as I said, I, I, my goal wasn't to write, you know, animation was to write like Star Trek, you know, <laughs> but, but I saw my opportunity. I saw this, this move me forward toward where I wanted to go. And so, so as a result, I didn't turn it down. You know, I, if, when Michael said, would you like to write this animated show? I could have said, no, no, I want to write for Star Trek, you know, and that would have closed a door 
that, yeah, I mean, again, you know, write what you love, write what you love. Don't, if, if there's an animated show that doesn't work for you, you don't get it, it doesn't resonate, you're not gonna do a good, a good script of it. It'll be crap, no matter how much you analyze the show. Find the things that you absolutely adore that is like your dream come true, write that. And, or, or create your own show. I mean, now with the internet and so forth, um, you know, you can actually, and with, with video, you know, and programs where you can animate, you can, you can actually animate your own show and just, and do the voices or find friends who can do the voices like Adam Sartain does voices. Yeah. And, yeah. And you, you have the choice of either looking for someone to hire you or creating the work that you want to create and putting it out into the world. You know, now I would I would suggest the latter because then you're actually doing the work and proving what you can do and also gaining an audience. And the moment they see that you're doing something entertaining and peculiar and interesting, the one thing that is different in animation now from when I started is the parameters of animation are much broader. The stylistic parameters, the content parameters, there's adult uh, animation and kids animation. I mean, our shows, even though they were written for uh, ostensibly for a kid audience, there were a lot of adults watching those shows too, you know, cause they were fun. But now obviously you have, you know, all sorts of shows that are intended for adults only. And, uh, and that's fine. But again, just find, find your tribe. I often say, you know, find the people who are going to be on your wavelength and then bang a gong. So they hear, they hear you, they become aware of you. They see what you're doing. The great thing about animation, uh, particularly if it's, if it's funny, is you know you you can tell if something works or it doesn't work because if people laugh then it's working, and if they don't laugh it's not, you know. But um, but just you know go for it. I mean don't don't be afraid. Don't don't worry if, that you're going to fail. Just just total full commitment. Totally throw yourself into it, and generally, you know it'll work because because love and creativity and imagination and your true heart of who you are, authenticity, all of that, it comes through. And there's so many weirdos out there. Somebody's going to get it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Wonderful advice. Uh, so we're running out of times, but before we go, I want to give you a chance to tell our audience uh, what you're working on now. Uh, what's, uh, what are the plans for the future? Well, they're big. Uh, you know, I thanks to my audience, I was able to raise the, the money to start shooting Space Command, which is a big science fiction show. I've got my own YouTube channel where you can check it out, Mr. Sci-Fi on YouTube. And I also post about science fiction in every permutation. Uh, and um, we're creating the Showrunners Network, which is six shows that I'm creating with the guys who created Farscape and The Expanse and many other great science fiction shows. And, um, you know, and then I'm also writing books. So like Greenlighting Yourself and you know, I, I basically wake up every day and do things that are just thrilling to me that I love doing. And uh, so I'm, I'm living the dream. I, I was very lucky to find my calling early. You know, I knew I'd be a writer or an artist, and now I'm actually both in my way. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very lucky. And so I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to create work. I mean, when you're talking about all my animated work, you're talking about, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. And so to write something that's lasted all these decades and the people still remember and still love is a great honor and a great privilege. And so um, I didn't know that that would happen at all. We, it easily could have been, you know, something I wrote that no one remembers, you know, yeah, I wrote for Smurf. So yeah, well, what's that? You know, <laughs> no, you know, but, but you don't have to say that. And so I'm, I'm really, really lucky and really blessed and really grateful. So, so great. every day is a, every day is Christmas for me. Great. And uh, of course, Go ahead and shout out your social media 
handles yes. uh, so people yeah. can follow you. And sure. if you at, at Mark Zikri is one of them. I'm also on Facebook. There's also Space Command, uh, you know, links and so forth. You can go to Space Command. Is it Space Command Series.com, Adam? It's something. You know, uh, it's Space Command Dash the Series.com yeah, is Man the official. .com. And, and, you know, but Mr. Sci Fi is basically the, the, you know, the um, beginner drug. I mean, it, it'll lead yes. you everywhere. <laughs> on and, YouTube, you know, yes. <laughs> gateway. But yeah, and then and then I'm just very accessible. Markzikri at gmail.com. You know, life is good, and 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 I'm thrilled to be working with all my heroes. And uh, it's uh, you know, it's really fun. Watch this space. There's a lot more coming. Yeah, and it's been an absolute honor and a privilege to have you, one of my here, the architect of my childhood, <laughs> yes, <laughs> or yes, one of the architects yes, of my yes. childhood, as it were. Uh, yes. So. Oh, it's really fun. You know, it's really great. And some of the people I worked with back then were my heroes from my childhood. Like, you know, the voice of Gargamel, that was Paul Winchell, who had been a ventriloquist and had a TV show when I was a kid. And so to write for actors that I grew up loving on kid shows that I loved, that was, you know, there's continuity to all of this. You know, it's like very much a sense of paying it forward. So, uh, so I'm thrilled great. to be part of that. Awesome. So thank you again for being on the show and thank you all uh, out there listening and watching on YouTube. Again, this is, I'm Adam Sartain and this has been Inside Animation. Yeah.